Hey everyone, nice to see everybody. Gavin, looking good, buddy. Well, we just wanted to say welcome to start off, and uh, every time I get up here with this new format, it does—it certainly does feel pretty weird, but I will say it's just nice to see faces. So we wanted to welcome you this morning, and if you're watching online, uh, we know a lot of you are home, hopefully watching, or will be watching in a couple days. We're very excited to be uh, spending our morning with you this morning. And so, just wanted to give you a couple quick announcements before we begin. We have a few things coming up that still are happening. Uh, you've been hearing about it, but we just wanted to make sure that if you are watching online or if you do have a senior, that next week is Senior Sunday, um, which obviously will be a lot different this year. Um, but Mitchell, I, I'm not sure how many seniors he has, but I think there's, there's a, a couple that have been, um, that will be highlighted. And so, I don't know how that, exactly how that's going to look. Um, but if you want to come to that just to be able to hear parents talk about their seniors, that's always a neat, um, a neat way to celebrate. And we would love for you to be a part of that and just come to watch. And I think especially this year since the seniors had to kind of end in such a, a weird manner, 
that they would love to have your support um, to just be able to, like I said, either watch at home or come to be able to celebrate them. It was just a kind of a disappointing ending for seniors this year. I really feel bad for their situation. And the second one is that we have a missions trip coming up. Uh, that's, that's June 28th, I believe, the war mission strip. That is still on. So if you're looking to get out and you're thinking, man, I need something to do and I want to be, I want to be, uh, get an opportunity to serve, that'd be a great way to serve. Um, that's still on. And so find some information uh, either at the info center or there's on the website as well. And then lastly, we also have the women's build coming up in June. That's going to be something to just keep your mind on. If you want to be able to be a part of that, I think you can talk to Amanda and Cheryl. They'll be able to give you some information about that. So... Um, I'd say stand and greet each other, but again, we're not doing that, so just why don't you go ahead and look at each other and, and give a friendly wave. Go ahead and stand and join us with worship this morning.
we had plans to play a great summer song this morning. Uh, our, as you know, in the last eight weeks, we've been learning to punt a lot, and today we punted again. Uh, the rumor was on Friday morning that Luis had contracted COVID and tested positive, which we found fascinating because he wasn't tested until Friday afternoon and wouldn't hear back until Monday. Uh, it turns out he was exposed to somebody who's exposed who's to somebody who's exposed. And uh, the first place he went to wouldn't even test him. And the second place we decided just out of an abundance of like concern, we would just have him go get tested. And we'll find out Monday. We'll let you know what's going on. But he was the only person who could sing that song in the range. So you're just going to have to imagine it, right? Uh, we were going to play JT's song, Can't Stop the Feeling, Right? So that's the kind of song we're talking about. It's a beautiful summer day, man. You were driving to church. The sun's out. It's beautiful. You roll your window down. That song comes on the radio. And what is the inclination to do? Crank it up, right? And you kind of get lost in the moment of that song. And so we're we're, um, kind of introducing songs that do that for you. And last week, we told you we would do a survey, which we did. We got lots of feedback from you. And so after the second service is done, we're going to put a poll out with four songs that we we can pull off. And uh, you're going to vote on those, and two of the top two songs on that list will play for the remaining part of the series, if we can, right? If if we have the personnel to do it and we can pull it off, we'll play those songs, it'll be great. Uh, Until then, um, you're just going to have to imagine that song in your mind for just a little bit. I uh, want you to know that we're also putting out a survey after the second service as well. It's a survey about uh, when um, you're comfortable with what kind of level of engagement at Waypoint. We've got a lot of ministries that are kind of on hold, trying to figure out what to plan, what to do, how to serve people. And so if, if you are watching at home and you can get on and fill that out, if you're here and you can pick that up sometime over the next week and fill that out, it would help us understand what we can expect over the next few months, and that would really be uh, beneficial for us. Um, Mike already mentioned next week we're going to bring seniors in. We are going to live stream both services. They're going to have different people at each service. So if they want family and friends to see this and they're concerned about coming out, they're still going to be able to do that live, so hopefully you'll be able to do that. Uh, We started a series um, looking at a book that's full of songs, And we did that uh, with this thought in mind. Uh, We described that moment in the car where you kind of get lost and you just enjoy that moment. You turn the music up loud. It's just beautiful and you're kind of lost in the moment of the message of that song and you're having a good day with it. I'm convinced that that kind of experience could happen between you and God in the book of Psalms. It's a book that's uh, written. uh, They were all songs that people sung at some point or the other. And, and the, the variety of stuff that you find in there is pretty incredible. And I'm hoping that as you find your way through it, here's, here's what we're hoping, that maybe um, once a week you'll go to the book of Psalms and you'll read one and you'll read it every day and you'll think about it. Or maybe you'll do something crazy and you'll read one different Psalm every day and you'll put yourself in a place where you could have a moment with God because there's so much going on in this book. Uh, Last week, we looked at Psalm 8, and David was writing to his creator, and he he was just excited about who he was and how he worshiped him, and all of that was expressed 
And it was a chance for us to feel that kind of engagement with God ourselves. Uh, We're going to go to a different place, a different psalm this morning. It's short. It's only eight verses long. It's got a heading too. We told you that some of the songs had headings that gave us a little bit of information about what was going on, and we found that to be helpful. In Psalm 8, um, it had a heading. In Psalm 12, which is what we're looking at today, it has this heading. For the director of music, according to the Shemith, a psalm of David. So we know some instructions are being given to whoever's going to play this, and we actually know what a Shemith is. It's an eighth. The problem is, even though we know what that is, we don't know what that means in terms of music. Was it an eighth beat? Was it an eight-string harp? Was it another instrument? There were some people who believed that what they were asking for was an octave that was to be played deep and ominous because of this psalm talks about some deep and ominous stuff. And so they were convinced that that's what it, but nobody knows. I think history has kind of buried how that word was communicated to musicians, so we're never going to know. But here's what we do know. It's another psalm of David. In Psalm 8, he was celebrating, he was thankful to God for the creator that he was. But in Psalm 12, something different is going on in David's life. In fact, um, I think it's safe to say it's not going well because it opens with this. Help, Lord! Like, that's not a really good opening. Like, something is happening in his life where he feels he needs to cry out for help from God. And he says this, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. I read that verse, and I thought of a rule that my wife and I have with each other when we have arguments. We, um, we have this rule where you can't go to the extreme. Where if, if you're upset about something, you don't use the adverb never. You never do this. Because what we've discovered is that when she says, you never do this, Blair, I have the uncanny ability to think back to 1997 when I did it right the one time, and I'll bring that up. And then we'll have a discussion about the word never for the rest of the time, never actually solving the problem. Like, we'll discuss that instead. And we've realized if we want to actually solve something, we won't go to the extremes. We won't say never, we won't say always, we won't say ever. We just, we put those out. But here's what we've discovered in the process. Um, We still think that way all the time. See what I did there? It's an extreme thing. We, we think that way, and what we've learned is that we actually have to start minding the way we think about these problems with each other as well. But we think that way because we're in a place where I just feel like you're always doing this is the way it starts in our head, and then we have to make sure that we manage it when it comes out of our mouths. So it doesn't come out that way, even that's what we think. See, when I read this, the thing that I thought is that David is a pretty normal guy. Because when was the last time that you felt like no one understood you? Like everyone was taking advantage of me. We have these extremes that we process our life with. We think no one's responsible but me. 
I never, they always. David says, no one is faithful and in the <laughs> and not anyone in the whole human race is loyal. He's on the extreme edge here. And it feels pretty good to read something like that because I think he's just a normal guy expressing the way he's thinking right now, which maybe draws the question, is, is this the time and the place for that? Because we learned in Psalm 8 that the Jewish people wouldn't even say God's name out loud. They had so much reverence for him. They wouldn't speak it. I don't even know how they sang it. They had so much concern and reverence for that name. So they, almighty creator God, all kinds of reverence, they got that right. Unloading their dirty laundry to him? Turns out they've got that right too. See, I believe they had such a reverence for God that when they spoke with him, they thought it was wise to just tell him the truth. This is how I feel. This is the way I think about this right now. This is my experience as I see it. And they're unloading that to God. In fact, it might be one of the wisest things that you could do is to tell God. It's like he knows already. What are you hiding from? But it, if you're going to tell somebody in extreme, wouldn't it be best to tell somebody who is pure wisdom, who has the ability to look at you and say, hey, let me pull you away from that. Let me give you a different perspective. Let me help you to understand what's happening here. Or let me just listen to you. Which is what's incredible about this. God is such a great listener that it doesn't seem to matter. The frequency or the size of the thing that David's concerned about, he's listening. I think we have a hard time comprehending that at times. We sometimes think that the stuff that we're going through, like the first world stuff that we have to deal with, God can't be too concerned about that. But God wants to hear the truth from you. How do you feel? What do you think? What's on your mind? And we have that here with David. David's expressing the stuff that he's got inside. No one is faithful. There's no loyalty in the whole human race. These are thoughts that he's had, and he's expressing these to God, and he doesn't stop there. It goes on. In verse 2, everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their heart. Man, he's worked up about some stuff. He's upset about loyalty. He's upset about lying. He's upset about flattery. All of these things are people who are playing with the truth. They appear to be loyal, but they're not. Lying is somebody who takes the truth and twists it or manipulates it to get what they want. Maybe they even change what's true. A flatterer figures out what you want to hear, and they tell you what they think. They think you want to hear instead of what's actually true. Everybody is playing with the truth. And David gets this right. He says they have deceptive hearts. In the Hebrew, it's actually written this way. I love this. He says, it's a heart and a heart. What's happening is that one person is expressing their heart in one way, but it's in a different place. And you're not really sure which heart they're expressing with. One's flattery, but this is the way they really think. 
One's a lie, but this is what they really have. They say they're loyal, but over here they're loyal to somebody else completely or to something else completely different. And it's deceptive. It feels like he's being pulled between two worlds. Now, I want you to be careful and see who he thinks is doing this. This is important. He says, everyone lies to their neighbor. The word neighbor has undergone an incredible change from when I was young to even now. When I was young, uh, what neighbor meant was there was a community of people that you knew and hung around. You did stuff with. You did stuff after school with them. You did stuff on the weekends with them. Um, They became part of your church community oftentimes. Your neighbors were your community. These were the people that you hung with. And and so uh, it's changed, though, today because now a neighbor is somebody I live near. But because of the technology that we have at our hands, our community becomes the people that we're connected with broadly. And they could be five states away. I still talk with them every day. Sometimes I see them on my phone. I call them. We speak. We're engaged with each other. And that's my community. If you were trying to get the right sense of how David thought about this, you would change this word from neighbor and you would read it like this. Everyone lies to their community. This is a friend that you feel this way about. This is a family member. This is a co-worker that you've been with shoulder to shoulder day after day for years. And you feel like they're being deceptive with you. I've been hearing this a little bit from my, um, my wife. She's kind of in a unique position right now at work. She's responsible to track every positive COVID case through the hospital and make sure that every colleague who's come in contact with that person was properly protected. And if not, there are certain protocols that they have to follow. They call it an algorithm that they've developed. And so she'll gather all the information about somebody and she'll write down their story. This is where you were. This is the proximity. This is how long. She gathers all this information that she has to know about them. And then she makes a um, a determination based on The protocols, you have to go get a test. You can't work for the next two weeks. You have to do this. And sometimes, she says, you aren't going to be tested. The level of exposure that you experienced doesn't merit a test. And the person gets upset. They want to be tested. I want to know if I had this or not. And she's like, listen, I'm just, I'm responsible to follow this. And you don't qualify based on here's why. And the person says, okay, fine, and hangs up. And then they turn around and they call somebody who's over her or they call her boss. And because they just learned what the parameters are, they change their story. And now their story is told in such a way that that person should be tested. And then Tracy gets a call from a boss who's upset. Why are you denying a test from my employee, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And so she explains, this is the information I took down. And they're like, that's not what actually happened. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. This is what, I, this is what the person told me. And she's, she's come home um, several times like spit and fire because stories have been changed and her responsibility is being questioned because of that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's uncommon is it? 
Aren't there moments where you feel like even the people that you are close to said, you can trust me. And then they went and gossiped about what you told them. Or they said, I promise I'll do it. I swear I'll do it. And they don't. They don't even think about it. Where people make these promises, they change a story, or they play politics, and you get caught in the middle. At some point, it starts to feel a little hopeless. And after David expresses all of this in verse 3, he cries out and he says, I wish all of these people would be silenced. Can you just shut them down, God? Make them be quiet. Make them stop doing this stuff that catches me in the middle. And then in verse 4, he writes something that kind of expresses the deep level of frustration that he has. He says this, I want you to quiet their tongues. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? So do you want to know how blatant these people are? They believe that your words matter more than your actions. It's almost like, it's almost like um, you're looking at a politician here where they can go on the trail and say anything they want to people, and then when they're in the office, it's a complete disconnect. That happens to us in our lives, too. And for some reason, it's happening with David. And he goes, look at the attitude they do this with. It's found in that little phrase right at the end. Who is Lord over us? Who's going to stop me? Who's going to hold me accountable for this? Nobody. I'm going to get away with this. I'm going to say one thing to you and do something else. And nobody is going to do anything about it. It's a sense of hopelessness. And it's bigger than what you think. Because if you're thinking all along that David was just talking about himself personally, he suddenly reveals there's a bigger concern that he has in his mind in verse 5. He says this, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan. I love the language there. This idea of uh, groaning. I imagine you've been there where something happens in your life and there are no words left to express the way you feel about that and all that comes out is like, ugh. This deep sense of hopelessness. Why? Because people are being taken advantage of and David is looking around going, people are saying one thing, they're doing another, they're taking advantage of people and nobody is going to stop it. Listen, friends, if you looked around in our world right now, it would not be hard for you to feel the same way. It would not be hard for you to have a sense of hopelessness that really nothing is ever going to get better. It's bad. It's getting worse. And what's really going to change? People are going to do what they're going to do. They're going to get away with what they're going to get away with. I can try to do what's right and good and just, but I'm going to be taken advantage of, and I know it. 
the way David feels. And then everything changes. In the middle of verse 5, God decides to speak. And he says this. I will now arise. I will protect them from those who malign them. And all of a sudden, you have God entering into the picture going, I heard you. I see what's going on, and here's my plan. I will protect. What you're going to notice is that there are no specifics. That's the, kind, that's the part that kind of drives us nuts. When are you going to do this, God? Where is this going to take place? Who are you going to do it through? I'd like a timeline to help me understand how your justice is going to be doled out so I can feel good about this. None of that happens here, but look at David's response to what is said. In verse 6, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. He's using some abbreviated language for a much bigger process that everybody in their day would have understood. It's, it'd be like me coming to you and saying, Google it. I don't need to say, go find a computer, open up a browser, get on the internet, find google.com, in the search bar, put in the thing that you want to look for, hit search, look through the different choices and find the thing you're looking for. I don't have to say that. All I have to say to you is Google it. When they say that things are um, put in a crucible, that gold is refined, they all understood because they, don't, they didn't go out to like a local store and just get everything they wanted when they needed it. There were things that were actually happened in their town where they saw things made from scratch. And so they knew that the different ores that you got came with all kinds of elements in them. And somebody would have to take that and they would have to superheat that thing. Um, some of the stuff would have to go over 600 degrees Fahrenheit. And when that happened, everything would turn molten and they would start to separate. And then they would cool it and the impurities would be on top of that metal and they would knock those off. They would be charred and black and the, the metal would be okay because it could stand the temperature, but the other stuff would be charred and messed up. And then they would do it again and any small imperfections would come to the top and they'd clean it off and you'd be good. In this time... They would do this process two or three times to get metals really pure. How many times did the scriptures say they, did the, they refined the gold? Seven. It's unheard of. Why, why are they suggesting something that even the culture wasn't doing at the time? Because in the scriptures, that seven was a perfect number. It was meant to say... When this is over with, this gold will be, like, perfect. There's not going to be a single impurity in this. This is David's way of writing. God's words are flawless and perfect. They're pure. There's something that you can count on. And in verse 7, this is what he says. He says, I know now that those people will be protected even though, goes into verse 8, even though people strut around looking like they can't be stopped, I know what's true. And it was all based on what, what happened. God spoke. 
See, David had such reverence for the name of God that when God spoke, he decided that he would trust that even over what he saw was happening. He knew the truth now because he would trust this God who spoke. We, we have massive advantages over David and the people of his time. God has, over a period of thousands of years, put together a book where he speaks in it to you. And if you were looking for some way to have confidence, for some way to believe that something was gonna go differently than the way that you see it in the world, you have access to a scriptures where you can read and see who God is and the way he thinks and what he says. There are promises that he makes in the scriptures that when you see those, you know this is the way this is gonna go because of who he is. And so his words are spoken and they become these things that we trust. They become our source of hope. But you know what's even cooler? God says that he sends his spirit to be with you. To kind of move into your conscience and to poke you and to prod you when something's off base. And he speaks in your life that way too. See, you don't understand how good we have it. There are people who spend their whole lives worshiping something that never talks back, that never gives them any feedback, that never gives them any wisdom, that never reaches into their life with words. But God does with us. And when he does it, it's meant to give us a level of hope and confidence that changes the way we interact with our world. David writes through five and a half verses about a desperate situation where he's disappointed and frustrated with what he sees in the world. But as soon as God speaks, he responds to that flawless, perfect words. And he puts his hope in that God's and this belief that it would turn out the way he said. He doesn't know when, he doesn't know how, he doesn't know where, but he knows it's to be trusted. Listen, I, I don't know um, what you're going through right now. I don't know if you find yourself in one of those places where you are frustrated, where it feels like things are against you, where it looks like the world is hopeless and you're not really sure what you're supposed to do in it. Can I just point you to God himself? Give him an opportunity to speak into your life through the scriptures. Give him an opportunity to sit down and pray and talk with him. Listen for what he might have to say. Put some time aside where you could listen to some music that centers your heart on what he's doing and who he is. Because I'm telling you right now, my friends, the answer for the hopelessness that we experience in this world is a person who speaks and he wants to speak with you. And if you'll put yourself in a place to hear from him, it could change your whole perspective on living just like it did for David. And you might be at the extremes right now 
But the extreme that he's hoping to move you to is this desire to believe that he has this under control, that he knows exactly what he's doing, that he will set things right in his time, and that when he speaks, it's trustworthy. Can I just pray for you as we think about the words of God and the gift that they've been given to us? God, I love in this little psalm that David feels like just a normal guy, frustrated, disappointed, maybe even a little angry at the world around him, not feeling a lot of hope until he realizes that you said, I will defend them. And he believed you. Believed your words were flawless, they were perfect and pure. And because of that, his perspective changed. And God, we need that. Because we are living in a messed up world that doesn't look like there's a lot of hope. But the source of it is you, a God who speaks. And you have a desire to make a way for us to move forward in this life with you. So I ask that you would give us the courage to seek you out, to listen, to put ourselves in the scriptures, reading a psalm, reading other sections of scripture where we're looking for what you have to say. And we would find time to pray, to listen, that we would be sensitive as your spirit moves our conscience to make choices to say things that we should say, to say things that we shouldn't say, that we would understand that you're speaking to us and that it would give us hope. We love you. So grateful that you are a God who speaks. May it change the way we see our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you please stand with us?
way maker in times that we don't see a way. You're our promise keeper that keeps us going every single day. We adore you, God, and we pray and we praise you for who you are. I pray as we go back out another week in this crazy world right now of the unknown and uncertainty, we praise you in all that we and all that we do every day. We praise you for all that you do for us. We love you so much. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Hey, over the next few weeks, we're going to have to exit out this side door over here. So if you'll do that, it's going to help us keep the two areas uh, cleaned a little bit differently. So if you'll head out this exit on your left, that would be great.